Welcome to Personal Financial Strategy, the podcast, a podcast wholly devoted to you and your relationship with money, bringing expertise to bear on how you earn, invest, and spend your hard-earned cash. I'm your host, Tony King, and today we welcome a special guest to the podcast, Joe Templin. Joe is an author. He wrote a book called Everyday Excellence, a daily guide to growing. Joe's also got a little nickname. He's known as the human Swiss army knife, and maybe he'll tell us a little bit about that. Um, welcome to the podcast, Joe. Tony, thank you. So I'm being a human Swiss army knife. You know, my background is extremely eclectic, and I don't say that I'm a renaissance man simply because I can't draw a straight line even with a ruler. My background is I started college at 13 because my parents said 12 was too young. Um, I, as I said, I started college. I was studying communication. Uh, then I went and at Johns Hopkins, then I went to Rensselaer Polytechnic. Uh, I was an applied physicist. I built weapons for the government, worked for DARPA. That was awesome. Did that for a while. We, uh, while I was there, we ended up losing our family farm because of lack of financial planning when my godfather died. So I started my MBA and working on my master's. And that's when I started interning with Northwestern Mutual. So I became a financial planner 25 plus years ago. Finished that, went full time, did that for years. Um, I'm also a martial artist. And so I was studying sales psychology and performance psychology because I'm a former world champion. And that led me into doing more training development work, which led me to found my own consulting firm, consulting back to most of the major insurance companies in the United States on training and development. I've spoken all over the United States and Canada on this actually, and it's, I've drifted even further into behavioral economics. I've written multiple books, including Financial Mistakes of Young Americans, and my newest one, Everyday Excellence, A Daily Guide to Growing. And what these are very much reflective of is the multiple components to knowledge that you need to assemble to properly do financial planning or financial advising, but also to be able to be the best that you can be on a personal basis. And it is that drive for personal excellence, that ikigai that the Japanese talk about, that actually helps you create a life of fulfillment, which ultimately ends up being longer, stronger, and more fulfilling. Wow. You are a human Swiss army knife. <laughs> that is maybe, Joe, the most eclectic background uh, of any guests I've had on the podcast so far. <laughs> Uh, so many things I could ask you questions about, but it would be off topic because I'm very interested in martial arts. Um, I'm a huge MMA fan. I don't know if you follow that at all, but uh, uh, also the the whole DARPA thing. That's that's really interesting. Maybe we'll do a podcast on one of those. But today we're talking about people's personal finances, and um, I know that you you hold a, a philosophy about. Um, personal finances and uh, really the psychology behind involved behind personal finance and, and, and a term that's thrown around a lot, pretty loosely freedom. I wonder if you could expand on that for us a little bit. 
Certainly. And one of the things that your listeners need to uh, just be reminded of is that when we talk about financial planning, it's not cookie cutter because you're a different person than I am. Your clients are all very different individuals. I mean, my three kids are as different as they come. And so their financial planning ultimately would be that because one kid wants to do one thing and somebody else wants to do something different. So for example, um, in my family, we really don't retire. My father retired at age 80 after 50 plus years of being a consultant running his own business. And he's still working. He's just not working for pay anymore because he doesn't want to. Right. He doesn't want the hassle. But he's still actively involved, uh, keeping his mind going, body going, his uh, social connections, all these things that the um, gerontologist will tell you is critical to having a very long, strong life. He's continuing to do those things. So yeah. when we talk about achieving your financial freedom, you know, your financial plan, it's always what the client's plan is, not my plan, not your plan, Tony, it is their plan. We just help them to craft it overall so that they have an understanding of, all right, this is what the tax code implications are. This is how insurance works. This is the legal implications based on the current, you know, Secure Act or Secure Act 2.0, it gets passed and all these other things. So those are all just components of it. But when you break it on down, even though when this comes down to an individual plan, it also comes down to individual responsibility around it too. And Jocko Willink, the former Navy SEAL uh, turned leadership guru, even though he would hate that term of guru, has a saying, discipline equals freedom, right? And so in addition to being a martial artist, I'm a ultra runner. And so if uh, I love donuts, but I don't eat donuts all the time simply because there would be all sorts of negative consequences associated with that. But if I run 10 miles in a day, I can have a donut. Okay, so that's part of my reward system. Same thing is that if you want to send your kids to college or be able to retire and you know have that beach house when you're 67 years old or what have you, You need to have discipline to have that reward ultimately. And if you spend all your money all the time, guess what? You're not going to have any money to put into a retirement plan or a college education plan or anything like that. And so you could have a spectacular plan, but there's no fuel going into it. It doesn't go and you're not going to be able to achieve those long range goals. So when I was working teaching new college graduates, it's like the dollar you set aside right now is worth three or four times the dollar I set aside simply because it has more time to grow. Time is your ally as opposed to your enemy. And that's one of the things that we, we talk about, but ultimately it comes down to that discipline equals freedom. I have the discipline to run, so I have the freedom to eat what I want. If you have the discipline to save, whether that's 12% or 15% or what 17%, whatever the percentage is based on your planning, if you do that, every single other dime, you should spend and feel good about. There should be not an iota of guilt about going and having the donut, about taking the trip, about you know 
the night out with your sweetie. You should not feel bad about that at all because you have had the proper discipline where you're supposed to. So there is no guilt. Great explanation. And and you don't see freedom and discipline uh, rubbing, you know, those two words. You don't usually see them in the same phrase, but you did an excellent job in explaining how one does in fact lead to the other. And I think, I think that's true in so many aspects of life. I mean, you, you, you made mention of physical training and, and I think someone's finances, so many, so many of the principles that you can apply to physical training, just graft right over to personal finance without much, much change. They do. One example that I use is that you don't roll off the couch and do a marathon right away. Right. You're a genetic freak, you know, there's a, occasionally a person who can do that, but normally you have to ramp up your training. Sure. And most people don't roll out of college and are able to save 15% right away. So what happens though, is that you need to be able to build up to that level, have your lifestyle grow slower than your income. And so I talk about the rule of one half all the time. So let's say that you're, you're, you got a person and they're saving at you know, like 8% of their salary, to choose an example. Mm-hmm. Got some debt that they're paying down, so they're setting aside 6% of their income for debt. Okay. Okay. So that individual, how are we going to get them to pay down their debt and to start saving more money so that they can achieve their long-range financial freedom, their goals, whatever they are? Well, one thing that they should do is by applying the rule of one half, which says anytime you get additional cash flow in, I don't care if it's a bonus, your raise, um, you inherit money, you win money playing poker from your buddies, you have a, um, a garage sale and get rid of a ton of the, the kids' stuff, whatever. What you need to do is take one half of that amount after taxes and set it aside for the future. Love it. Love it. I bet there's a bunch of people in Vegas right now that would benefit from that one half rule. Probably. Okay. Then that half that's remaining, you take one half of that. So one quarter of the total amount and you either accelerate your debt payment or uh, you put it into savings. And that's based on what the income interest rate on your debt is and all that sort of stuff. Right. It goes to one of those two places. And that last one half of one half. So that last one quarter, you get to spend that on whatever you want. Oh, without feeling bad about it whatsoever. So let's say that, you know, you win a thousand dollars on playing, you know, blackjack or whatever after taxes, 500 of it goes immediately into investments for the future. Got it. 250 goes to pay down your credit card quick. The last 250, you get to do whatever you want. You can go buy shoes. You can, you know, buy tickets for something, bottle of wine, bottle of whiskey. I don't care. Enjoy it. Yeah. You know, you get a raise. You get a 4% raise after taxes, right? So 2% of that gets carved off to go into your retirement savings. So if you're saving 8% right now and you get a a 4% raise, hey, bump up that rate from 8% to 9% or even 10%. Got it. 
And by doing this, you're going to bend your curve. You're going to accelerate down your debt payments. You're going to increase your savings rate. So you're accelerating your debt payments. And so you're paying that down quicker and you're raising your savings rates. You're still getting enough of a taste of it to feel good, to appreciate it. But you're setting aside at a faster rate than your uh, lifestyle is growing. And if you keep doing this over a couple of years, I had a client who was in his early 20s when he started this and he could only save 4%. And he got a couple of promotions and he was getting his raises and everything. By the time this guy was 30%, he was setting aside 20% of his income because he just got on this habit. And right. in fact, after a while, I had to tell him, you need to stop saving at such a high rate in terms of putting all this aside because you're actually saving so much money that you're sacrificing too much for now and you know you're not living as you should right I mean, right you know because he, he, he had bought his house he had his savings for his kids he was saving more than enough for retirement and everything i'm like you can actually slow down the savings okay? yeah yeah next raise have fun with it don't increase your savings and he's like and he told me afterwards I saved part of it, but not, you know, the full amount because it just became a habit. And yeah. so that discipline leads to freedom. So this was a guy that at 31 years old was already completely and totally on track for what he wanted for retirement with very conservative assumptions in terms of what the market was going to do and all that. And because he was so disciplined in this one area of his life, he was able to open up all these opportunities and others, but also that same disciplined approach he taught to his kids, his spouse was completely on board with it. So they have a very good baseline to be able to go from. And he, he applied this same rigorous discipline to his career. And he's doing incredibly, incredibly well now, better than we ever would have predicted 20 years ago. Right, right. You know what I, I love most about what you're saying here? is the friction or the resistance. Here, here's what happens. Um, I talk to a lot of millennials. Millennials, many people may not know this, but millennials are earners. They make money. Yeah. They are suffering. I saw a statistic just a couple of weeks ago that, and it was a st statistic reported by millennials earning six figures. So good earners, strong earners. Oh. 60% of them reported that they're living paycheck to paycheck. And what you're talking about keeps lifestyle in check as your income grows over time. And that creates margin that can go to your future. Right. And here's the thing. Why are the millennials doing that? Who are the millennials' parents? The baby boomers. Right. Okay. The creators of American consumerism. Right. Okay. And so <laughs> the reason why they're living paycheck to paycheck is because they always had it now. You know, they're the ones who, you know, started using credit cards so that they could have it now and pay over time versus the old way where, you know, it was layaway and you'd go and you'd pay and pay and pay and pay until you could get. And so it created a habit of deferred gratification. Right. As opposed to the instant gratification. Right, right. I, I used to joke that, you know, minute rice took too long for a millennial. 
<laughs> a millennial joke. Pretty good, Joe. <laughs> you know what? I'm a prototypical Gen X, so whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I, I love that concept. I love that. Well, really, what what was behind that finding of 60% living paycheck to paycheck? You know, these are high earning individuals. So there's really no reason for that. So you have to dig through the layers of the onion to figure out what's going on. And uh, the article I was reading, the summation of the article was that there's a thing out there uh, really amongst the, the, the wage earners of today, which are millennials, called lifestyle creep. So their, their income is going up year after year after year it just keeps climbing but they're allowing their lifestyle to creep up with it exactly not creating margin to be put into their future and passive income investments and that comes down to external gratification versus internal uh gratification this is one of the things as a martial artist gave me a distinct advantage because you know when i graduate finished grad school I kept my crappy grad school apartment for the next two years. I did not have a phone because really? I needed phones so much from work and everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did not have a TV. I did not have cable. All I did was work and train martial arts and occasionally go drinking with my buddies. Right. So I was rarely there. So I, I didn't care that I had uh, a place that wasn't in, you know, up to snuff with what my income was at that point or anything. Cause I was just working 75 hours a week and training 20 plus hours a week, plus doing my studying to further my career. So I didn't need anything, you know? So yeah, I bought slightly better beer. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I was no longer eating ramen. I was eating slightly better food, but mm -hmm. it's, you know, you're you're not gonna upgrade too too much and what i see a lot of people doing is is they graduate from college or they get a promotion or whatever and they're going straight from ramen to you know eating steak all the time yeah and then when they have to actually start setting aside money for the future it's a sacrifice because they get used to that higher level right. and so giving it up even if they're you know dropping back to you know, good burgers. It's like, ooh, you know, that hurts. That's sacrifice, as opposed to going from ramen to burgers and saving the delta right away, or just right. having your lifestyle increase very slowly, so it's still getting ahead of inflation, but not as quickly as the income and the other components. Because right. you know, a lot of these millennials, they've now been out in the workforce fifteen years, so they've had multiple promotions promotions are big quantum jumps in your income but sure. what happens is that's the sign to buy the new vehicle that's the sign to buy you know the new uh bigger place or to do a renovation or have a huge vacation and it's like why can't you be content with you know going to the woods for the weekend like you used to be why do you need to spend a tremendous amount of money we see this with doctors amazingly all, well, you know, and yes, this is a little bit of a broad brush, but, you know, every single one graduates needs the incredibly flashy vehicle like everybody else. They all need the great big house. You know, they get out of med school, they've got a quarter million, half million dollars worth of debt, and a lender will give them a 
loan for a half million dollar home without blinking an eye. Why do you need that immediately? Yeah. Why do you need that actually at all just to impress other doctors who everybody's spending every dime that they have to impress each other? And then if you realize how many doctors get into their 40s and 50s and they're broke, mm-hmm. or you know, won't be able to pay for their kids' college, even though they're making you know half a million dollars or more, because they are so externally driven on, oh, I'm a doctor, I need to show off and be a member of this club and that and everything. You know. Just don't care about that. Yeah. 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 You, simpler things to care about. Yeah. You know, this discussion, Joe, I mean, you, you know, the young doctor or the young engineer, or um, they might be listening to us right now and go, man, you guys are downer. <laughs> well, my, my young engineering friends, you know, I went to an engineering school. I mean, our mascot is the engineers. Yes. That's the Polytechnic <laughs> Institute. Go yeah. RPI. Yeah. Right. So, you know, we care about function as opposed to form, okay? I can't tell you the number of my buddies who are, dri- who are engineers who are driving 15-year-old cars because they still like them, that will work on their car and all that, right? And so if it still works and you can fix it, why not do that? and save the 10 or $20,000 because that is stuff that you can set aside for the kid's education, for your retirement to you know, be able to do these other things. And so if you look, the mindset of an engineer and a doctor actually are almost diametrically opposed because the engineer or scientist cares about how something works. If it works, they're not gonna play around with it. Uh-huh. The doctor, who is much more like an attorney in a bunch of ways, is that they need to impress the other members of their profession. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. So it's sort of like a rap star where, you know, they need to have the gold chains and, you know, what, the flashy, you know, ride to impress other people in their ilk. Right. Right. Versus within an engineering world, you know what? Oh, you've got a Volvo with 250,000 miles on it? You know, <laughs> show me how you can, you know, squeeze additional life out of something. You know, in, among engineers, it's almost a sense of pride to be cheap. <laughs> Is that right? I must not be it, running with this right crowd of engineers. <laughs> it depends on the sort of engineer, too, you know, especially among mechanical engineers. I mean, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, a lot of mechanical engineers you know, their first taste of engineering was sitting there with dad or their uncle or sometimes Mm -hmm. like fixing an engine and things like that. And so they learned how things work that way. But they also learned that you repair things. If you can invest a little bit of your time to not have to buy something new, then that is a big thing. So we live in a disposable society in a lot of ways. Yes, we do. And, you know, I'll just go get a new one. Okay. Right. And things are have planned obsolescence. In a couple of years, you just you know chuck it out and go buy a new one instead of having something that's going to last for years. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is having that sort of mindset. So, for example, I'm wearing my favorite cowboy boots right now, and I've had these cowboy boots now for 25 years. Oh and you know, resold three different times. Is that and right? I have spent as much reselling these things as I did purchasing, but 
you know, for the most most people, they're like, ah, shoes are beaten up or worn out. I'm just going to go get a new pair. Right, right. So it, it and you know, do I, I do that with everything? No, but having that attitude, that discipline around things to, you know, to fix it as opposed to toss it. That's one of the reasons why, you know, our grandparents, divorce was almost unheard of. Why, you know, relationships, whether it was a marriage or friendships, lasted so much longer instead of just being replaced because the attention span is so short that it's all instant gratification again, as opposed to that deferred gratification whether it's the deferred gratification of saving for something or working towards something, whether it's a degree in martial arts or learning how to play a instrument or develop a skill set. And so it is having this capability of taking the time to allow things to develop that allow was a big advantage previously which has made us more successful. And so it comes down to having the discipline to stay the course on that, even though there's, oh, this cool crypto now and you know this right. .com and right. you know, this is sexy real estate now. You can flip houses and make so much. Mm -hmm. And more people get burned by that than end up at being successful. Right, right. Understood. You know, one of the things that we found that, that can help with the mindset is um, you, can, you can set you know, we've talked about the differential. You keep your lifestyle down while your income goes up, creating a differential. If you can show, show people, I can show people on a graph what that means 20 years from now and a, a pictorial display of where they will be 20 years from now, just by virtue of that delta that's created by keeping your lifestyle down while your income mm -hmm. grows. It's phenomenal. I mean, it's waiting for you there, man. Um, everything you want an even better way to show it? So use BBs or marbles or something like that that represent uh, $1,000, okay? And you, know, you can use this to show the effect of not paying taxes versus paying taxes. So having something inside a Roth IRA versus non-tax shielded, you know, all these things. And have a, a nice steel bowl and you can drop in the amount that they would have doing X, or if you want to show them what the bigger thing is, boom, 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 and just the visual and auditory reinforcement of just a couple of BBs versus hundreds of BBs right. can tell a story in a completely different manner. Yeah, I love that visual. That's a great visual. Love it. Well, Joe, I'm wondering if you could do something for me. Could you give, we call our listening audience the strategists. Could you give our strategists one thing, one practice that they can do today to up their excellence quotient in life? Yes. And this is something that is cross-functional, that they can apply to their financial planning. They can apply it to their physical health, their mental health, their relationships, what have you. So this is you know, the real key is that in every situation, we basically have two buckets worth of choices. We can choose what is feels good in the moment. That's generally the easy 
Okay, that's eating the donut. If you eat too many donuts, you can't fit in your pants. <laughs> okay, if you that is sitting there playing video games instead of cracking the book and studying for your exam. Mm -hmm. Feels good in the moment, but what happens? You don't pass the exam. Right. Okay? And so it creates a downward trajectory overall. Okay. So you could choose what is easy and feels good in the moment, but ultimately makes things harder. Or you can choose what is more difficult in the moment, what is not nearly as much fun generally, but leads to a better outcome. You know, eating the healthy snack. You know, going for a run around the block instead of sitting there watching, you know, TV, you know, studying for the test instead of going out drinking with your buddies, setting aside the money for retirement instead of buying a new, you know, game system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So if you go and choose what is hard in the moment, it's going to make your life a lot easier versus if you choose what is easy now it's gonna make things ultimately a lot more difficult. So it comes down to the easy choice or the right choice and just consistently try and make the more difficult decision. Right. And if you do that consistently, you're going to increase your excellence factor across all components of your life and be in a much better physical and financial position. Love it, love it. Well, Joe, we always like to give our listeners the opportunity to connect with you personally and give you the opportunity to promote your latest uh, thought and vision. So I'd like to open the microphone to you and allow you to do that at this point. Oh, awesome. Thank you, Tony. So people can follow me on Twitter or join the Facebook group. Those are both at EDE with Joe. That's at EDE for Everyday Excellence with Joe. That's me. <laughs> or they can also go to the website, everyday-excellence.com. And six days a week, we put up a micro blog so they can get a little bit of, hit of inspiration. We have all the podcasts that we're on so they can find this one there. You know, uh, we give insight. It's just a, an environment to continue to foster that excellence through the little decisions that they make over and over. And they can always find the book at my site or online anywhere where books are sold. And the book title again is? Everyday Excellence. Great. Thank you so much, Joe, for being with us today. And strategists, I'm going to send you off with the same thing I do every episode, and that is keep on strategizing. <laughs>